Welcome to the Dulos Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Glad to be here today. Uh, this is what I want you to understand today. So if you're going to take notes, get your paper, get your pen out. If you don't take notes like that, then get your phone out. Because this is what I want you to walk away with this morning. What I want you to write down is this. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, the best response is to follow him whole heartedly. I'll say it again. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, the best response is to follow him wholeheartedly. Last week, Brian started our new series, Stand Out, and he was in 1 John 1. This week, I'll be continuing in 1 John 2. But before we get there, I, I want to ask you a question because I want I want you to understand more about who the author is. Um, so what I want you to do right now is think to your grandparents. Does anyone in this room happen to have like a, a rad grandparent? Someone that's like super cool right there in the back. Nice. Okay, so this weekend, I got to spend some time around my wife's grandpa. This dude is rad. He's like, I've never seen anybody do this before, but like he like put some Listerine in his mouth, swished it around and swallowed it. I was like, bro, who does that? You know, who swallows Listerine? This guy is wild. Um, but my own grandpa, uh, I love him too. My own grandpa, uh, by the way, I hope you're not like scared of old people. Uh, I've got some friends that are like legitimately scared of old people. I don't know what the deal is, but they'll like turn the other way. But back to my grandpa, if you put my grandpa like side by side with Santa Claus, it's like, who's who, right? Like my grandpa's got a bear, a belly. He's got a nice, like white, beard. Dude looks pretty cool. Uh, my grandpa lived through the Great Depression. So with my grandpa living through the Great Depression, he, he had some things that were kind of like particular to him, right? So around my grandpa, like if you, um, if you left any food at all on your plate, he would like make you eat it. And like the worst part is my grandpa loved Golden Corral. So like we'd go to Golden Corral. Golden Corral is gr like, it's gross. But when you go to Golden Corral, like you put stuff on your plate that you don't even want to eat. You just kind of want to try it, right? And so you put the stuff on your plate. But around my grandpa, if you had like one pea on your plate and you didn't eat it, he'd be like, are you going to finish that? And you're like, no. He's like, but you're going to finish it, right? And he like, grandpa got real stern. You're like, oh, oh yeah, I guess I'm going to eat this one pea, grandpa. Thank you so much. But uh, I, my grandpa was a stern man. He is a stern man, but he's also a godly man. He, I knew he cared about me. Every Saturday, uh, he would sit us down at the table. He would get out an old dusty Bible and he'd say, okay, we're going to learn about God today. And I'm like, yes, sir, we are, right? Like, regardless of how stern he was, it, it was evident that he loved me. No, I'm not sure about who your grandparents are. I'm not sure if they're cool grandparents, bad grandparents. But the reason I want you to think about grandparents is because the guy that wrote 1 John, his name is John. And at this point in his life, he is 80 to 90 years old. He was the only disciple left. Everybody else was gone that had seen Jesus. But then there was John. And John, at 80 to 90 years old, he begins to write the letter First John. He begins to write this part of the Bible, right? And as he is writing it, as it's, if it's as if John is like Grandpa John, because he's writing this letter to younger Christians. It's like a grandpa to, to a grandkid, right? And so as John begins to write th this letter, he starts off like this. John says, my little children. It's like, oh, Sweet John, sweet Grandpa John. But then he says this. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not 
sin. It's like, oh, stern, Grandpa John. Like, what happened, right? Uh, but, but let me tell you a little bit more about who John is. I told you my grandfather lived through the Great Depression, which means that you didn't waste anything around him. Like, that was kind of like his, his thing. But let me tell you what, what John lived through. You see, John was one of Jesus' disciples, one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, John was one of the only disciples that was around when Jesus got crucified. Let me tell you exactly what that means. John was there when Jesus was mocked, beaten, and spitting on. John was there when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John was there when Jesus breathed his last breath. Then John was there as a soldier took the spear and pierced it in Jesus' side. That's what John saw. And so all that to say, John knew firsthand the consequences of sin because he saw what it did to Jesus. And so he writes the words, do not sin. I don't know if you've ever like taken something and and thought that it like wasn't a big deal, but really like it was a pretty big deal. I don't know if you've ever kind of messed that up. I did once when I was a kid. One time when I was a kid, I thought I was going to help my mom clean. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to help my mom clean. I'm going to go to where like all moms hide the cleaning stuff under the kitchen sink. And so like I bust open the kitchen sink. I look inside of there and I see all these cool cleaning chemicals, but I'm like, I'm like in the fourth grade, right? And so I'm like, I'm a master chemist. I don't need these cleaning supplies. I'm going to create my own. Because if I make some like good cleaning supplies, I don't have to work, right? Like it'll just do it for me. And so I go, you know, master chemist, I pull out the bleach. I sniff it and I'm like, oh gosh, that's strong. Not strong enough. I can do better, right? And so I get the bleach, I put it out, then I grab some ammonia and I'm like, okay, I got the ammonia. And then my mom walks in. She's like, son, what are you doing? I'm like, mom, I'm making my own cleaning supplies. And she's like, if you mix bleach and ammonia, you will die. Like it makes a toxic fume. You can't do that. Turns out randomly just mixing cleaning supplies together is a big deal, right? Like you don't do that. The reason I'm asking you that is because have you ever been tempted to think that that maybe sin isn't a big deal? Maybe you've thought things like, oh, it isn't gossip. I'm just kind of like talking about people. No, it's not like a big lie. It's just like a little white lie. Not really a big deal. Oh, I mean, I know I'm cheating, but everybody cheats in school. Don't worry about it. I know I've kind of taken things too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend, but we haven't gone that far. So it must not be a big deal. You see, here, here's my issue. I got to think that with Jesus having, or John having seen Jesus on the cross, I've got to think that when, when people thought and, and kind of laughed about sin and thought it wasn't a big deal, I've got to think that, that John thought about the nails that were in Jesus' hands. When someone took something and said, oh, it's not a big deal, we're just kind of cheating, uh, I got to think that maybe John thought about the blood that was dripping down Jesus' forehead. I got to think that, that anytime someone at all just try to make light of sin, like it wasn't a big deal, I've got to picture John just, just thinking about Jesus hanging on the cross in complete and total agony. You see, the reality that you've got to recognize if you're going to be a Christian and follow Jesus is that there is no such thing as like little sin and big sin. There's just sin. There's not like an acceptable amount of a lie and then like an unacceptable lie. 
There's just sin. And what we've got to recognize is that all sin, your sin, put Jesus on the cross. So Grandpa John, with his vivid memory of Jesus on the cross, writes the words, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Golly, right? Like, strong start, my friend. But then he continues with this. He says, but if anyone does sin, but if anyone does sin. You see, the the, the reason that I'm emphasizing these words is because really when John writes, but if anyone does sin, what it really translates better to is when you do sin. What, What I want you to understand this morning is that you can be a Christian and still mess up. And so John says, but when, but if anyone does sin, but when you do sin, Remember this. You see, you got to remember, John is 80 to 90 years old. At this point, he's seen a lot of people accept Jesus. And John is old enough to see so many people accept Jesus that he knows that when you believe and accept Jesus, you don't automatically become a perfect person. He knows it takes some time, right? And so what we've got to accept as Christians is, is we got to stop being so fake. It's time for us to to stop pretending as if our lives are perfect and we have everything put together because the truth is people would rather be around people that admit when they're wrong, admit their mistakes, than be around people who pretend they're perfect. No one wants to be around hypocrites. And so John says, but if anyone does sin, here's what happens. They can never go to church again. They can never show their face. In fact, they should be shamed. No, John doesn't say that. That might be what we feel when we sin, but this is what John actually says. John says, but if you sin, but if anyone does sin, this, we have an advocate with the Father. This is verse one. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is an old man. Dude's got a vast vocabulary. He's using some big words here, right? Like advocate, propitiation. Let me, let me tell you what, what's happening here. Advocate is a courtroom word. And I know that March through September, y'all spent a lot of time at home. So y'all had to see at least like one episode of Judge Judy, right? Like Judge Judy's always on TV. Judge Judy, Judge Mathis, uh, Judge Jerry now, right? Like there's all these judge shows. So think with me for a minute. When you think of those judge shows, you've got Judge Judy or whoever up top, right? But let's, let's switch this out. Instead of having Judge Judy up here, it's Judge God. And then if you're still imagining this courtroom, you've got those two other positions, right? You've got the accuser and you've got the defender. So if we've got Judge God up here, then in this courtroom we're putting together, you've got the accuser, which the Bible literally calls Satan the accuser, and then you've got the defendant, you. And so here we go. We're, we're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to enter into court. And so 
smack, right? Like gavel goes down and it's time for going to court and God's like, okay, what's up? And then immediately Satan, the accuser stands up and you're the defendant and he points at you and he goes, hey, they're, they're liars, they're cheaters, they're, they're thieves, they're murderers. If you knew what they did with their phone when you weren't looking, my goodness, they're terrible people. They are sinners. And he goes for hours and hours and hours and the accuser, Satan just lists every single wrong thing that you've done since you were a baby and then he smiles and he sits down and he looks at you and in that moment you're you're sitting there and I mean you're feeling pretty defeated because the reality is you know that everything the accuser Satan said about you is true you know you sinned you know you messed up and so you got that weird feeling in your stomach and quite honestly your knees are shaking you don't even you don't even know if you could stand up if you tried But before you can even stand up to try and defend yourself, all of a sudden Jesus stands up for you. And that's where this word advocate comes in. You see, what an an advocate is, is someone who publicly supports somebody. And, And the Bible says that Jesus is our advocate. He publicly supports us and loves you. And here's the crazy part. When Jesus gets up to defend you, he doesn't defend you because you're innocent. Jesus defends you because you're, you're guilty. So Jesus, he looks, he looks up at the, at the judge. He looks at God and he goes, everything that he's saying is true. They're guilty. They are messed up. Jesus knows. And Jesus goes, I know that their punishment is, should be death. But I paid the price. They don't have to have that that judgment because I paid that price. I gave my life for them. And that's where this other fancy word comes in, the, the, the word propitiation. You see, for Jesus to be the the propitiation for our sins means that while, yes, every single person sitting in this room is is guilty, and and yes, biblically speaking, the, the judgment is death. To be the propitiation means that Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled that need for justice. That's crazy, right? And so, all right, we can we can mentally all right step out of the courtroom. Judge God show is done with, but let's just take a deep breath. And can we just be thankful for the, for the truth that, that we have a God who knows every single thing that we've ever done wrong, every single sin we've ever committed, and he still loves us. That's awesome. It's insane. God is good. But stick with me because it, it gets even better. I don't know if y'all have ever been on a date before. If you've never been on a date, nobody's asked you one day, right? One day, somebody will ask you, you'll ask somebody, you'll go on a great date. I'm speaking that in faith. Just believe it, right? But if you're in a, if you're, you know the stage of dating where you call it like the, the talking phase, right? And the talking phase is the fun part because you're like texting and you're like, <laughs> you know, like, ah, everything's funny. You're like, oh, so in love. Um, but talking is, is crazy because you do anything you can to try and impress the other person. So you're texting them, you're like, oh yeah, like, what do you, what do you like to listen to? And they're like, 
the Beatles and you have no clue who the Beatles are, but you're like, I love the Beatles. You're like, hey, Siri, what are three Beatles songs? And you're like, yeah, hey, Jude's my favorite. I love that one. Yellow Submarine, off the charts. And you just start like making things up. And all of a sudden you're the biggest Beatles fan because you do everything you can to try and get that person to start liking you, right? Like you'll do whatever it takes. It's fun, but it's kind of messy, right? But my problem is we, we try and make this work for us and God too. We think that we have to do good things in order to, for God to love us. We think that if we do enough good, then maybe God will, will notice us. And so we're like, oh yeah, God, I love reading my Bible. Most, of, most Christians, they like stick to the New Testament. Love what you did with the Old Testament. That was sick. Good job. Oh God, I love going to church. Every Sunday, favorite day of the week. In fact, I would sleep there if I could. This place rocks. I love church. Oh, yeah, God. Did you see me serving? Servant's heart. Yeah, I'm a great person. Don't you love me, God? And we really think, we really think that we can impress God with good things to get him to love us. It's like, bro, God's not some girl that you can impress with a, with a suit and tie. You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to work. This is what John has to say. Grandpa John, in all his wisdom, continues in verse 3. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let me simplify this for you real quick. John says, if you claim to be a Christian, but you don't like act like it, you're fake. But on the other other hand, whoever does what God says shows that they know God and have a relationship with him. And so don't miss this. Here's the truth. You should follow God, not so that God will will love you, but you should follow God because God loves you. You understand the difference? You don't do all these good things. Oh, God, look at me. God, would you love me? God, I'm being so good. No, because God loves you, you should follow him. How rad is that? The reality that there's nothing you can do to make God love you. There's nothing you can do to to make God love you even more. In fact, Romans 5.8 says that God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, a.k.a. when we were at our worst, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. And so let's just recap real quick what what Jesus has done for us. Jesus loves you unconditionally. In fact, Jesus loves you so much that while he knows every sin you've ever committed, he, he still knows you. In fact, he knows every sin you've ever committed. He knows that you deserve to be punished. He knows you deserve to to, to die for that. But he loves you so much that he couldn't stand to see you take that punishment. And so he took that punishment for you. Which brings me back to where we started. I had you write down that sentence when we first began this message. Come back to it real quick. You see, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, the best response is to follow him wholeheartedly. Period. 
You see how much Jesus loves you? It's crazy. So that means that if God is calling you to, to follow him out of an unhealthy relationship, you follow him. If God is, is calling you to remain pure before marriage, then you follow him. If God is calling you to delete some apps on your phone so you don't sin, you delete the apps. If God is calling you out of a life of sin and into a, to a life with him where you trust him, you follow him. In closing, I, I want to tell a story. I got to warn you, it's a little bit gross, but, but here it goes. Allison and I, we, uh, we recently moved into a new little home, and so it was exciting for us. We've got a dog, um, and so I love my dog. He's a great dog, but we lived in an apartment, so we didn't have a backyard. So it was like, okay, we got a house. We got a backyard now. My dog is living the dream, right? Like, this is awesome. But I kid you not, for like the first three nights we stayed in the house, my dog didn't know that he could, like, poop in the backyard. I don't know why. And so for the first three days that, that I woke up in this house, I would walk into the kitchen, and before I got to the kitchen, I would smell dog dookie. I was like, are you kidding me? And so then I'd be like, Allison, i got to leave early for work. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I would pick it up sometimes. Um, but anyways, right, so my dog would do this. But here's the, the, the weird part. I knew before I even got to the kitchen, before I even smelled anything, I knew my dog had done something wrong. Because I got to tell you, I got a great dog. My alarm goes off in the morning. I turn it off. No sooner, my dog is like jumping up and he's like cuddling me, telling me good morning in dog language. You know what I mean? Like I got a great dog. But, but for some reason, when, when he had messed up, my alarm went up, no dog to be found. And I was like, oh. Then I would like make my way to the living room and my dog would like see me and he would just like put his tail between his legs and he would like run off. I'm like, okay, I already know you've done something wrong. You're hiding from me. Then I'd get to the kitchen. And I'd be like, great. It's a gross story, but the reason I'm telling you this gross story is because it emphasizes the gross feeling that we all know when we do something wrong and we're ashamed of it. Maybe you're here today and you've got that feeling of wanting to hide your face because you've messed up, you've done something wrong, and, and, and you're in church today and you're like, I, I, I just feel shame. So, so here's the deal. It's awesome knowing how much Jesus loves me. I, I love it. I'm all in for Jesus. And I know he loves me, and the courtroom stuff makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. But overall, even if nothing makes sense, know that you have a God in heaven who knows what you've done wrong but still chooses to love you. But regardless of how much God loves me, there's still this little weak spot, a little bit inside of me that, that, that it's a little scary also knowing that, that Jesus knows everything that I've done wrong. And the reason I want to make sure that I get to this part in, in the story is because I I think that maybe there's someone in here and you're afraid to follow Jesus because you're ashamed of who you are or what you've done. Yeah, this Jesus thing seems good, but that's not me. Like, I'm not a good person. I don't need, I, 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 you feel shame. Or I also want to say this, just in case there's someone in here and you have Jesus, you're good to go, but you, you just feel that shame like you don't really belong. I just want to, I just want to finish up with John's words. We're still in 1 John 2, but now I'm skipping to the end, verse, verse 28. Because I think that John knew that there were some people that would feel the weight of that. Yeah, the love is good, but, but if it's not me, I feel shame. 
John says this. He says, and now, little children. It's like, oh, you're going back to being sweet again. Thanks, John. He says, now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. Abide in him so that when he appears, we can have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You see what John's saying? He goes, when you follow God, when God shows up, Jesus comes back, you, you don't have to be like my dog with your, with your tail between your legs and run away in shame because you've done something wrong. No, when you follow God and Jesus comes back, you can confidently welcome him. The Bible says your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west. You can confidently come to Jesus when you follow God. There's no need for shame, biblically. So I'll leave you with this. When Jesus loves, no, not when. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, and when you follow him, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, when you follow him, you can confidently, without shame, wait for him to come back. And when he comes back, you can confidently walk up to him, and he'll say the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories and tag us at Dulas Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.